0: Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast, where we give you a behind-the-scenes look at company building from the perspective of the builders
1: themselves. This is how we operate. Welcome to the OPERATE Podcast. I'm Kerry Ransom. Today's episode is sponsored by BankTech Ventures, the first strategic investment fund designed by the community banking industry for community bank innovation and investment. BankTech identifies leading products and technologies from four community banks, and works with the founders and management teams to maximize the impact for community banks, as well as their startups. If you're a bank looking to innovate and invest in the future, or a founder who wants to work with community banks, reach out to BankTechVentures at BankTechVentures.com. My guest today is my longtime friend, Zach Lyons. He's the founder and CEO of Agile Innovations, and they're a consultancy that helps groups to effectively and predictably develop new solutions to problems that customers actually will value and use, that customers will actually care about. And it's amazing that that's not often as uh, obvious as it may sound. He is way experienced in this concept that I love called jobs to be done. And we're going to talk a ton about that today. And he's also a fellow UCLA Bruin. So of course, he's brilliant. Zach, thanks for being here and joining me today. Yeah, it's great to be here, Terry. Thank you. Absolutely. So I talked about jobs to be done and your deep expertise there. I think it's great jumping off point. Let's start with a bit of a history lesson on that. So give my audience a a sense of kind of where it comes from and core principles. Oh, yeah, I'd I'd be happy to. It's jobs to be done.
0: It's interesting that the history of it actually goes back uh, quite a while. It's not really a new concept, even though I know it's gained a lot of steam more recently. Back in the 1970s, the uh, Harvard Business School professor, Theodore Levitt, who wrote a lot of books about marketing, but he uh, famously once said that people don't want to buy a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. And, and I think that sort of was one of the earliest indications of that customers are not necessarily trying to buy your product or service, but trying to get something done. And then, you know, uh, fast forward a number of years and the Harvard Business School professor, another one, uh, Clayton Christensen, who passed away a few years ago, um, he popularized the term jobs to be done in his 2003 book, Innovator Solution. Uh, He had been working on research around it. Innovation and and disruption, innovation and, and all those types of things. And uh, Tony Olwick, another consultant, actually introduced this concept to him, and he came up with a book. It started as a footnote in that book, and has grown from there. And you know the, the tenants of Jazvudan. I, I I kind of think of three core tenants that are, are key. Jazvudan is not necessarily a complicated idea, although doing it in practice does require some skill, but I think the principles are very simple. One is that, and a lot of people have heard this one, that customers hire products and services to get something done, right? And that something is a job is what we call it. So it's not that product or even that service that's valued by the customer, but the extent to which the product helps them to get that job done. And so the implication of that is that as an entrepreneur, as a product manager, instead of really studying the product or the customer, which is how most market research is done today, you know, to drive innovation or to uh, improve your business outcomes, what you really want to do is study the job Mm. that the customer is trying to get done, that people are trying to get done. And that will give you better insights into how to improve your product and service and even your marketing and maybe even your acquisition strategy, whatever, all your downstream business activities. Uh, And then kind of the third thing I'd say is that, and this there is some debate about this out in the industry because people approach jobs be done slightly differently. Um, I've subscribed to this camp, which is that jobs can really be decomposed into steps. Hmm. And for each of those steps, as people are trying to get done, we'll talk more about that, right? Customers have metrics that they're that they've defined as far as getting those steps done successfully as they execute the job. And so, why that matters is that those steps and those metrics can be captured independently of a product or service. So you can really understand those before you ever build anything.
1: Thank you. That's such a great place to start and (laughs) uh, so much more there. So let's go a little bit more into those tenants. You know, the hiring for a job, the the product or, or service that they're hiring to to help them do that and the, the steps as well. And, and what you didn't talk uh, at least initially about that, I I know we've talked a lot about is when you're looking at those steps and I, I tend to totally subscribe to this, like you do, there are certain steps that are more or less important to getting that job done. And the current uh, services or products that people are using along the way are, either helping them in a satisfactory way or unsatisfactory way mm. to do that. And so as you look at, you do a lot of what I would characterize as study and you help people study a job in its entirety and those component parts. How do you, as you think about those pieces and the the approach, how do you help spot those opportunities?
0: Right. For innovation, have- improvement,
1: et cetera, right? Right,
0: exactly. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about studying the job, right? You're trying to find opportunities to mm-hmm. either develop a new product or improve your existing offering. Uh, and so it really does follow, it, there's multiple steps, right? It, the first thing to do is kind of, I just mentioned, is that when, when we define the job, what is it that customers are trying to do? We walk through, and this, this is done through customer interviews, right, is to try and understand what are those steps that they are trying to do to get that job done uh, perfectly really what do you have to do so this is not a a process map right we're not trying to map out how they do it today which is you know interesting but not really what we're trying to do we're trying to understand what what the ideal is what do you have to do to get each mm-hmm. to get the job done perfectly and so those are the steps so typically there's things that they're they're thinking about upfront before they ever even start doing the job right they have to mm-hmm. plan it then they there might be things they have to gather make sure they're ready to do it then they actually do the job. And then often they're, they're monitoring how they're doing, um, may you make, make adjustments uh, as you're doing it, right? And then eventually conclude it. So it, it's really, it's sort of an end-to-end view of what you're trying to do. And then as we go through this, there's, as I mentioned a moment again, there's these me- metrics or measures of success as they go through these steps. So uh, we, we know that customers are trying to get each step done really quickly, as quickly as they can. Uh, predictably right because if they do something they don't want it to go off track and efficiently right they don't want to spend a lot of time and effort and maybe effort is another way to think about efficiency but um as they go through it there so they have these these metrics then that they're trying to accomplish as they go through those steps sort of in those domains so what we do is we go out and talk to customers about what they're trying to get done quickly predictably and efficiently as they do those steps and we gather those measures of success, right? What, what is it they're trying to do? We strip out the how they're doing it. Basically, what are they trying to do? Um, and so what typically what we'll end up with, by the way, is anywhere from 50 to 100 of these measures of success on a job. So it's a very granular view of what how these customers measure success mm-hmm. as they go through the job. Um, and so that's really just step one, right? That's, the, that's the, to give you the background or the base to understand what is it the customer is trying to do to identify our opportunity to kind of answer your question, then we can take that. And typically we'll take it and do a survey to get statistical confidence. And we'll ask people to rate each of those metrics on importance to them mm-hmm. and how satisfied are they given the current solutions they have. Now, if they don't have any solution or they're just doing it themselves and satisfaction could be low, if there's a lot of solutions out there that have done a good job. Satisfaction can be quite high. And so what we're looking for then is those measures of success from the customer's perspective that are both important to them, right. And not well satisfied. And that, that's really what we call an opportunity, right. Something that's important to yep. your customer, but they're not able to get done. That's a good opportunity. Um, and so, you know, we, so this is all done through kind of interviews and then surveys, right. To gather these insights and doing analysis to really hope focus in on where we should pay attention to helping the customer get that job done
1: that's super helpful i think the first time that you and i did one of these together and you produced that output there were it was a color coding based on that level of importance level of satisfaction and the ones that were the the highest really, opportunities were just so clear. And, you know, I call them, I think, subsequent, because I don't know that we ever talked too much about that. I call them hotspots. It was like, those are hotspots of opportunity. And Mm -hmm. what I find a lot of founders don't quite understand is that any new solution is generally requesting people to change behavior. And the hardest thing for humans to do is change behavior. And As we've talked about, I think, you know people are much more willing and motivated to consider changing behavior when it's important and the current options aren't very good. so talk talk a little bit more about you know what what that what you've seen in finding those hot spots of opportunity, irrespective of how you're going to do it better. yeah, is at least you're starting to tap more into core motivation, I think. but like you know share share your thoughts there because I think that's so important to how this all works.
0: Right. Yeah, there's there's a bunch there. Let me see. So one thing I, I will say what you just pointed out, I call that the heat map of market opportunity where the, yep. the red are the hot spots. And and by the way, the whole idea of motivating people to change, the, the idea of adopting this heat map versus let's say traditionally showing data on graphs. It was I realized that as a as a consultant helping clients that they have to understand the data in order to change their behavior, right, as a product manager. So instead of showing a bunch of graphs where people kind of scratch their head and not everyone understands graphs, is you know, depending if you're mathematically oriented or not. Um, So I adopted this heat map as as almost a method to change organizations so that they simply can say, yes, we're going after the red. Those are the important and not well satisfied. A lot of clients, you know, love that. They'll put it up on the wall. They'll have a war room, right? So they're they'll keep keep that front and center as they're building their product or driving their marketing. Um, so anyway, so I, that's just an f- interesting tidbit. I the reason Absolutely. I adopted that. Uh, and I guess the second part of your question, like, how do we, you know, how do we get adoption? And, you know, so what we've found is that just because uh, there's an opportunity in the market, like something is important and I'm not well satisfied, doesn't mean that customers necessarily will switch solutions, right? Because yeah. There's solutions out there that, you know, are sticky, right? To kind of use that term that's been out there mm-hmm. a while. Um, it may just be, there's a lot of anxiety, right? There's the idea that, oh, I, I'm doing this today. I know this product. It doesn't do it as well as I hope, but I know it and I understand it. Mm-hmm. And there's a cost, not just to, to buying a new product, but to learning it, getting up to speed. This is another thing that I've sort of in my consultancy, I've changed or adapted in Jobs to Done is that once we know the needs that are important and not well satisfied, either through you know, through a survey like we just talked about, we'll do additional in-depth interviews with those customers who are struggling with the problem to really understand why those needs are important and not well met. Like what is it? What's behind that, right? What's mm-hmm. driving that uh, behavior? It, it could be uh, attitudinal, sometimes it's very functional. Um, I did a study not too long ago with consumers who are trying to get out of debt. And I think this was an interesting one because Mm -hmm. this is sort of surprising was a lot of consumers who are in debt. They struggle with this as an emotional and a mental uh, struggle with this. Um, But one of the things that we found as we dug deep and doing these additional deep interviews of why they couldn't stick with a plan to get out of debt. Like, so a lot of them know we should develop a plan and follow the plan. But a lot of them will have spouses that don't align financially or significant others that don't align so here they are trying to you know cut expenses and not go out to eat as much and then the spouse may be doing the exact opposite right and so mm. you're not going to get very far it's like two two people pulling in different directions sure. and so to the company actually that helps people do this it was like well if you don't help the consumer deal with their spouse or significant other and get them aligned then you're, they're never going to get out of debt right they're just going to keep struggling and so like that was something that we didn't really understand in the jobs we've done it didn't show up as a metric perhaps but it it was a it was a driver behind that, and so those deep dive interviews really help understand what is the mental uh, state, what is the functional areas, what's getting in the way of actually addressing those needs, um, and you know we call that sort of context or root cause, and a lot of times that actually even maybe is more valuable than the need when it comes to developing new solutions.
1: Great example, and I think yeah that that <laughs> is a depth that you often don't see people going to, as you just described. I think the other is it helps you understanding that if you're an entrepreneur, I mean, I, I tend to apply this as much as I, I do because of living in the more startup, founder, entrepreneurial world. Most entrepreneurs wouldn't know that at the outset, that that would right. be a great impediment to potential success. And I would say that you know sometimes the founders that I get the most excited about actually have somehow intuitively found that insight and that's now what's motivating them to go. So it's an interesting, uh, there are other ways to, to find that insider realization. This, what I've learned is just, this is the most structured and predictable way to do it. And there are so many, things that, that, you know, improve or impede your adoption of a new solution. But I've again, this just seems like such a logical one. So, you know, what, what is it about jobs to be done that captivated you? Because you, you've been in this for a while. And, you know, somehow it it greatly appealed to you to really make this a core part of your career. So I'm just curious, you know, what was it about it that resonated and, and drew you to say, oh, this just makes so much sense?
0: Yeah, it's actually, I, it's sometimes fun to look back, right? It's, uh, I've been doing jazz we now for about 20 years, actually, <laughs> mm. before people, a lot of people even knew what it was. Sure. Uh, actually, I was uh, kind of my little bit of my story is that I was, uh, it was early 2000s, I had just joined it in their mm. TurboTax group. I was a new product manager and I was asked alongside another guy and my manager to go build a new version of TurboTax for millennials who Mm -hmm. at that time were just coming out into the workforce, right? Not using TurboTax to still using mom and dad's CPA. And so we we said, let's go build a business around these guys. We never really focused on them. And uh, I was, you know, at the time I realized, and even back then, there was a lot of research that showed. Most new products and services fail, right? The mm-hmm. failure rate was seventy five to ninety percent. I saw it into it, which you know, a very successful software company had their fair share of failures. And I was thinking, well, I don't really want to fail on my first sort yeah. of big project as a product manager. So I started looking around at what are the best methods for developing new product. You know I went to conferences, I read books, I talked to people up all over the place. And in that process, I actually stumbled upon, Uh, Tony Olwick and his small little consulting firm around jobs to be done. And I said, that that seemed like it was it. Like everybody else I was talking to was really focused on going out, immersing yourself in the customer and developing a solution and then really testing the solution to see if that made sense. You know, now we call it sort of design thinking back Mm -hmm. then it didn't even have a name. Um, Some folks at IDEO had sort of pioneered that and Tony was like, well, no, no, no. Let's just start with really understanding the customer problem. What is it that they're trying to do? How do they measure success? And then, then we can start thinking about solutions. It really was separating, exploring the problem from the solution space. And so I remember we hired them. I remember the day I got data back uh, and looking at you know the, the job of preparing and filing taxes. And we started comparing millennials to other adults. And we found some unique differences. And that's one of the cool things about Jobs Have Done is mm-hmm. that it really is really like almost like a measuring stick by which you can measure how people do the job and we can compare different demographics. And so we did that. There was a couple of things that really stood out for millennials. And we launched marketing in year one. We got written up in the Wall Street Journal and Business Week is doing some of the most innovative marketing come out of a tax company. Um, we basically did some deals with some partners and said, hey, if you do tax with TurboTax, and you get a refund. We'll give you a, a bump, you know, on Expedia, so you can go take a trip with your friends or buy a you know nice big screen TV from Best Buy. So we did this sort of stuff that the business had never really thought of, because they really didn't have that data, right? And then we ended up even coming out with a new method for tax filing. Uh, we got a patent on it. Core TurboTax loved the ideas and they stole all our ideas. And uh, <laughs> they said you can go work on this version 30 of TurboTax. And I said that didn't sound very much fun. So I actually ended up leaving joining tony and and the Strategen firm back in 2006 and learning jobs V done so I, I i guess it's that whole commercial about you know the men's club right so i was a client yeah. and i fell in love with jobs yeah. V done i saw the value and so that's kind of
1: what got me on this journey oh such a good story and i mean seeing it work in the wild is is nothing nothing better i uh i've just become such a uh, devotee to it in how I talk to founders. And I think you and I both believe that it has such power in this startup entrepreneur journey. And you know, I find so frequently, I will say to a founder, well, it's very clear to me that you love your product. Mm-hmm. I'm more interested in, do you love the problems that your ideal customers have? And explain to me, how do they describe it? And I find just amazingly all that often, they they can't even talk about it in their ideal customers terms, kind of back to your, are they trying to buy a quarter inch drill or a quarter inch hole? Right. And do they know the difference? So I I'm just curious, you know, as you think about the entrepreneur's opportunity to use this. What is it about Jobs to Be Done that you think is such a useful? I mean, we've talked a lot about it, but just to boil it down, what do you think is so useful about it for an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, I you know like go, if you if you go back to that stat I said, like seventy-five to ninety percent failure. They've even studied that the biggest driver of that is not really solving a real problem for the mm. customer. I've seen studies in the Harvard Business Review talk about that quite a bit. And if so, if you think about that, there's really something wrong with the current process entrepreneurs are using and and i think that the problem is that entrepreneurs and the investors who invest them in really they typically start with and get excited by an idea mm-hmm. which you know the idea is usually some product or service right maybe they That's were right. in the garage tinkering or they worked in the industry or whatever but they come up with this idea and it, and so they they think about hey the world needs this idea and then if they're motivated enough right then they'll they'll head down this path right to bring that idea to market and mm-hmm. Somewhere along the way, what Eustace said is they, they really fall in love with the idea, right? It becomes like their baby, yep. right, that they're bringing into the world. It's almost like this this takes on a life of its own. Um, but they don't really stop. And I think because they fall in love with the solution they have a hard time with this change is saying, you know, can I stop and think about is the people really need this? Is this something that's really going to be valued? Is And what is it from the target customer's perspective that I'm thinking maybe they don't even have that in mind? But what is it that they're trying to do? So even if they do uh, some market research, it's it's often really focused on the customer. Let me just find out more about the customer, or you know who they are, what they look like, mm-hmm. or it's focused on the solution. And, and I remember you and I talking a while ago, there was a funny clip from Silicon Valley, right? Where they, they basically browbeat uh, customers into thinking, hey, what, would you like this idea for an app? Do you like this? So they just sort of ask about the solution. And you know, inevitably when you talk to enough people, they'll say, yeah, oh, that's great. Sure, um, but sure. it doesn't really get to what the underlying issue, right? And so what I think Jobs We Done is so valuable is it really acts like a, a counterweight to this mm-hmm. mindset, right? It, it changes the lens by which the entrepreneur then is really looking at or should look at the market. So instead of looking at what people are doing, right, it really helps us to focus or helps the entrepreneur focus on what they're trying to get done. And a perfect example, I use this actually in a lot of my presentations. So I kind of like this because it's very simple to understand is that imagine there's two entrepreneurs, right? One sees themselves as developing uh, training wheels. So you imagine training wheels on Mm -hmm. a bike for kids, Mm -hmm. right? As they're learning to ride a bike. And they, you know, they think about, all right, how, how do we innovate this category, right? And So they might think about the training wheel and how do we in, improve it? We'll make the ball, ball bearings better so they roll mm-hmm. smoother. We'll, we'll make it easier, to put on and off, right. And those are all fine things, right? but it's it's all around this around this training wheel. But imagine another entrepreneur then who's adopted jobs we've done, right, who has that thinking, and they're they're more focused now on the job of helping kids learn to ride a bike. right? Yep. That's yep. the ultimate goal of that training wheel. So they're not necessarily tied to training wheels, which is one way to do it. So they can be really more innovative and think about how do we solve that problem? And ultimately, what you know, and this this is not actually totally imaginary, right? A company came around and said, Hey, we're gonna launch a balance bike, yep, right? Yep. Which is a, you know, if anyone's had kids learning yeah. to ride a bike, it's a much better way to teach kids to ride a bike because they have to learn to balance and steer before they paddle, get going really quickly mm-hmm. without balance. And so that obviously has become almost like the dominant. Solution today to helping parents teach their kids to learn ride a bike because it's really a, a different way to get the job done. But if you're so myopic, if you're so focused on training wheels, you would never have seen that solution.
1: Ah, oh, that's such a great example. I, I love it. I I have gone so far, and I, I don't know that you and I have talked about this previously. I've gone so far with a few prospective founders. Who've who've said to me something to the effect of, I just really want to go start a new company. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where to begin. I don't have the big idea. Is I've I've even suggested to them, I said, imagine if you woke up in the morning and you could pick the ideal people that you get to serve as customers that would just energize you. Maybe you start with that, you imagine them, go then. Spend time with them, understand some of the core jobs that they're trying to get done, and find your hot spots of opportunity. And now you get to be in business with people that you love to help and serve. And that could be new parents that are trying to teach kids uh, how to ride a bike or something. So, starting, you could go all the way back to that. What do you think about that as an idea for even developing uh, the entrepreneurs? You know new idea and company that's
0: interesting it's it's kind of a twist it's yes go study a group and then try to understand some of the challenges that they have I, I i like that actually you know we in the past i've talked about you know you might have a love let's say you love golf right so yeah. if you're trying to find in so if you really want to work with golfers right maybe they're just amateur people mm-hmm. learning go go on the golf course right observe what you know watch and I, I do think that's an interesting approach. What you have to be then is very open uh, to the idea of observing a problem or challenge, right? So it's not, again, I think it gets away from the solution, right? Because if you start looking at solutions, there's there's a lot of solutions out there in golf that's or right. other area. So, but what is the problem? Where are they struggling to do something very specifically? And then I think if you identify an interesting area, John Dunn then would say, okay, let's go now study that in more depth. Mm-hmm. And really validate that this is a widespread problem. Uh, so, and I think that's the key, right? So if you start with a group, go find something and then find out, is this really a widespread? Is this a big enough problem that people will, one, to want to spend money to solve it? And two, there's enough people out there who have that big problem, right? That it's a big enough market for you um, to actually build a business. So I do like that approach. It is sort of counter. To how most people, right? Because most most people and most companies already have a product in the market, so they've yeah, already yeah. sort of they've already picked their well, the I mean, the customers pick them. And this is if you're an entrepreneur. One of the benefits of being an entrepreneur is you're you're free. You don't have a right. baggage, right? You you don't have a company with products and services in the market, so you can go wherever. So why not pick the ideal and start from there? Um, yep. But be willing be willing to be open to learning. I think is really the the key in that, right? right.
1: It's a right. journey for sure, for sure. Um, let's, let's use another example as a, as a potential start, we'll pick something that kind of everybody knows. So, you know, I know you and I, you and I've talked about the life cycle of a consumer with automobiles, with cars, and that there, you talked earlier about there's planning, there's execution on the job, there's sort of reflection after, and that, the, the you know, I, I kind of think of the, the ownership journey in, in automobiles as a life cycle, because often they have a vehicle and then they have to do it again, right? So mm-hmm. at some point in that process, you know, you have this idea of insuring the vehicle. And I think there's some amount of disruption happening in that space. But if you were to go through kind of analyzing that, you know, to go through your kind of quick process of how you would go through that. And maybe there's a different, you know, we've seen things like usage-based insurance start to appear, but maybe there's an entirely new way to think about risk and cost. Um, so walk through your process a little bit there.
0: So the, so our process, and you did hit on it earlier, Carrie, and that um, this is a repeatable process. So we do have a way to do it so it's not like we're just stumbling upon some insight mm-hmm. and getting lucky it's really a, a a process meant to find that opportunity that's one of, that's actually also one of the reasons i love jobs we've done because of that um so the first thing we do is we say okay let's define the market right so uh wh- where do we even want to study and you know by market we mean a group of people who are doing the job right so there's a group of people out there trying to get this job done and in this case, since you're, you know, sort of telling me, it, you know, you think about consumers uh, obtaining auto insurance, right? Maybe for a new car or a used car, they just yeah, sure. Um, But of course, you have to think about there's other people involved with that, right? So it's not like the consumers are isolated, right? When it comes to auto insurance, there's the insurance carrier, right? Who's underwriting the policy. There's the agents who, who have to sell the policies. There's even, you know, the repair shops who get paid by the auto insurance right when there's a repair to be done so there's all these different people who interact and we call that a market ecosystem Mm -hmm. it's pretty common uh that you have all these people so you have to be very clear on who is it first that you're trying to create value for right because they all have different needs they're all different jobs they're trying to get done um if it's about obtaining insurance so obviously the consumer is sort of the heart of that and Mm -hmm. that's where i would start although Sometimes you can innovate by understanding the other side of the coin, right? Okay. Like the agents who sell it. Um, but let's just say we're going to start with the, the consumer uh, to make sure we're crystal clear. And, and by the way, I do see a lot of people, they may mix this up because they, they think about like the insurance market. like they So they think about it in a classical sense. Economists would define a set of products and be, services being sold Mm-hmm. Kind of like the old the idea of a you know farmers market or something where everyone comes together to sell, and so they think of they commingle. Really, this, the buyers and sellers have different needs, so you have to separate those. So the first thing is separate it. So if you say okay, consumers obtaining insurance, so what what would you do? Well, what we would typically do is we would go out and interview you know about eight to ten um, on that job of you know first to define really what is it they're doing. In this case, we're saying auto insurance, or're trying to get that um, and. We also want to make sure that we talk to people who are, who have done the job, right? So mm-hmm. if you've never been in that market, if you've never done the job, then you're not going to be able to necessarily articulate what it is, what it, where the struggles are, what you're trying to do. Um, so that's another key thing. Sometimes people will say, well, uh, you know, I'm talking to people who, who are prospects who haven't done it. Well, you want to talk to people who have gone through the job to understand the challenges they can look back, ideally recently um again we're not necessarily talking about the the service of insurance right we're talking about the process what they have to get done um and for the first couple of interviews then when i find those people who have done it right what we're really trying to do again is go back to these steps so what do you have to get done perfectly as you walk through doing this so what are what are some of the things that you're defining up front so for example you might have to define what are your insurance coverage needs right so Mm -hmm. and, and i'm sure there's you know there's a bunch of questions like they probably don't even know if you're new to it right or you've only done it once or twice like what do these terms mean w- in which you find a lot in financial services right the, the industry uses terms the consumer doesn't understand so they're thinking about what are my coverage needs um you know and then most likely are looking around to understand who you know what 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 are different products that I could obtain to address what my coverage needs are. Um, they're also having to think about different carriers. Right. Who are the insurance carriers out there that provide this coverage? So there's several decisions in obtaining insurance <laughs> that are all kind of wrapped up. Right. What do I need? What, what are the options out there that address my need? And then who. Right. Actually can provide that need. And so, you know, typically we would gather that through customer interviews doing, you know, like I said, at least uh, eight to ten interviews, mapping it out. And we, we definitely start with a job map we, that acts like an anchor. Um, it's like if you go back to you know school English class, right? Where they your English teacher would say you're going to write a paper. You first write the outline of the mm-hmm. paper and then fill that in. Uh, and so that's what we that's what the job map acts like. So as we map these steps, we make sure we have each of the steps from beginning to end, all the way through to you know getting the insurance, and then eventually uh, you know at some point they may get a new car, so they or their or their needs change because life changes, right? New things evolve in their life. Um, and, and then as they go through each of these steps, how do they measure success in each of those? So a need is really about getting a step done, right? So in this mm-hmm. job. So needs are very specific and organized and granular about when I'm defining my coverage needs, what is it that I'm trying to define? What do I need to know? So it's not things about going out and calling the insurance carrier, that's what they're doing, right? Or going online, and getting a quote, that's what they're doing. What they're trying to get done is, you know. Be able to identify like what are the coverage that I need, how much are the different prices, maybe even comparing different you know options against each other. Right? a lot of this I learn as we go, right? As, this is continuous sure. process. So once we have those needs, then you know as we talked about, anywhere from fifty to hundred, we would then you know organize that, put that into a survey, and really try to identify where they're struggling right? What's important and unsatisfied, as we talked about, mm-hmm. of all these mm-hmm. 50 to 100 metrics. And then again, do afterwards, do these deep dive interviews to understand what's behind it. And, and that's where we start looking at potential solutions and thinking about, okay, now, do, do any solutions address these challenges? Mm-hmm. Why or why not? So it's a really systematic process, if, if you take that away, right? It's really understanding step by step what they're trying to do. And not until the end, do we start thinking about solutions and how they solve it or how they might not solve it and really and then once you have that then you can start saying okay there's something important here and not well satisfied it it's fairly large you know we looked at it through a survey and oh by the way nobody's no one addresses this today is this something that i as an entrepreneur right or as a product manager or a leader that can then come up with something that would address it is there is there like this is where now you would gather experts together and say okay how do we solve this problem mm-hmm. and now What's interesting about this process is that, you know, you have the problem, it becomes like the anchor and now you're iterating on the solution, mm-hmm. right? So all the, all these startup, you know, lean startup and all these things that talk about, you know, failing fast, it's, it's sort of a, it's, a, it, it really is, it, it's difficult because it doesn't hold, it doesn't say define a problem. It's just talking about come up with an idea, test it. Yeah it doesn't you iterate but you don't know if you you didn't find a problem or you had a bad solution that's right
1: what are you anchoring to that's right what do you
0: anchor here we've anchored a a problem by doing this very systematic process up front and now we're iterating on the best solution and now you might say and it's perfectly feasible that you can't come out with a good solution Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but now at least you haven't wasted a bunch of time and money building something you say look i haven't i couldn't solve that problem we'll put it on the back burner or maybe you know not now right so you've anchored around a problem and you've and hopefully falling in love with trying to solve the problem, not with the solution.
1: Uh, yeah. And I think, I mean, what you just described, I, I look at this as literally a gift to entrepreneurs to just challenge them to think a little differently. The The alternative that I have seen work, which kind of backs you into the same place is I'm co-creating the solution with a motivated customer who will pay me to co-create it with or for them yep. that you know that is an alternative but is not that common and sometimes the problem you could run into there is it's their definition of the problem which may not be as pervasive or broad-based as you you would want to put your time into building that business right but i think you know what you just described as a process it's so useful and yet, you know, I've never seen a startup come to me with <laughs> this entire job study output and how they got to this in an articulated way. And so you know, want to shift because because I'm curious your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. I I literally feel like a lot of the startup advice that is given out there is almost 180 degree opposite. It's literally the opposite of what I often suggest. And, you know, at times I question my sanity, I go, am I the the one here? But, (laughs) you know, like this idea of, hey, put a pitch deck together of your idea. Mm -hmm. It, It pretends that you have it all figured out. You haven't figured it out, but you're pretending in an ideal world where this idea was the greatest idea ever, what would happen? And I feel like I'd much rather them show up with what you just described and the output of that, that led them to a highly motivated group of people with a big need, big problem and interest in some solutions that maybe you've you've tested and like this very rigorous objective process. And I'm just curious, like, why do you think most people ignore or hide that kind of ugly, messy iteration mm-hmm. and learning process that you really have to go through one way or the other. It, it's such a good question. I,
0: you know, I think the short answer is I, I don't I'm not really sure that they know how to define the learning process mm-hmm. or even what to learn. I you know, I even think back in our MBA experience, right, at UCLA, and I took a number of entrepreneurial classes, and everything they teach is. It's like you start with this idea, a solution, mm-hmm. and then you put together a deck, right? that yeah. and, you know, and you've done sizing, and you made it look like it's it's gonna, you know, and everything's gonna work perfectly, and you're gonna sell, you know, and the hockey stick yep. is gonna yep. accelerate. And it's like it's sort of weird because at the beginning, you know, the least right is That's when it. you know the least about everything, what what the best solution is, how how people are gonna adopt it, how they're gonna use it, right, all that stuff. And so it's almost like like you said, it's like you really want to lay out this this learning plan but you know as I I, I, you know maybe you can tell me this but a lot of entrepreneurs I think come from disciplines like like me like engineering right or product management really where their whole focus of their career has really been about developing new solutions right Mm -hmm. coming up with a solution Mm -hmm. solution solution and so that's what they've been trained to do that's the lens that they've developed that's how they think um, maybe they've done some experimentation on different ideas but again that's usually around the solution and i don't think they spend a lot of time or even know as i'm saying have training about how do i lay out a learning plan a process and be okay with telling people right I, I'm, I need to learn right i don't know this and you know even the whole vc entrepreneurial you know industry kind of rewards these slick decks right that lays everything out nicely I, I remembered into it. They bought a company, um, probably not as well advised. It was an entrepreneur, he started mm-hmm. it. And he was so good at presenting the solution in a slick way. And and, and they bought him, and then it ended up being that great. And I just to think about it was like smoke and mirrors. It was almost like they're rewarded and scented to get investors, everyone to get all hyped up about the idea. Um, and so I you know, I think a lot about, and this is sort of what resonates with me is you know, Einstein, he once said and i keep this kind of in my mind all the time is that if i had an hour to solve a problem i'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and then five minutes thinking about the solution right mm-hmm. and this whole idea is that the more time we spend really understanding the problem um, the, the more effective that resolution that solution will be we, we don't need to jump right into solutions right away yeah, yeah. again we've been a lot of us have been trained that way we should really take the time to comprehend Like, what is that issue? Understand it in depth from different perspectives. Um, And so it's almost like going slow initially to understand that. I, I know entrepreneurs don't want to go slow, right? They want to get to market. They want to build this product, get it out in the market. But really, by doing that and redefining the problem and getting to that root cause, that's when you actually later on can go quicker uh, and coming out with a, sure. a, a great solution, but it's it's counter to how do we operate, right? It's counter yeah. Yeah. to how we've been trained, and we really want to jump into solution mode immediately. It's what it's what motivates us as entrepreneurs. How do you change that mindset? Is a good question.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I've even speculated, Zach, that you know it could be. Look, you know, it's very well established in the venture community that power law returns are what drive uh, the actual underlying returns, and. If I'm an investor, look, I only need one out of 10, one out of 20 to go really, really well to pay for everything else that doesn't. And so if this deck at least establishes, if you get it right, I'm going to do okay to, to maybe that is what's driven it to some extent that I just need to, you to establish for me that this is a big enough thing. but. I, I struggle because I look at it and I say, look, you know, out of 10, out of 20 startups, each one of these founders is putting it all on the line. And, you know, the default position's failure. And, you know, the you, you got to start from the default that it's not going to work. And so I kind of look at it and go, give yourself at least the best chance of actually solving a problem in the market that people... Care about enough to want to do something with. If you get it right, and so to me, it's just again in a world where default is failure, adopt a framework that gives you the highest probability of not failing. And so that's kind of how I've come to think about it. But it is a, it is one of those questions that it it always seems to challenge me. Uh, if you were going to advise an entrepreneur, let's say they either you know just started. I think I know, but I'd love for you to, you know, give give your advice on, you know, the aspiring entrepreneur. What what would you say to them?
0: Yeah. And you know, one of the things I, I was just gonna make a comment on what sure. you just said is that uh, I, I wonder personally why there are not more investors, VCs, private equity companies that don't sort of mandate doing that upfront work ahead of time, or even maybe to the point where they, a portion of the money that goes to fund it is actually already mm-hmm. earmarked to do that research. Uh, I, I, I have had a lot of experience working with st- founders. I work with an accelerator, about three dozen startups. And and what I realized is that the pressure on them to get to a product, a prototype. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even though they say they totally, like entrepreneurs, when I tell them about Jazudan. And coach them on this to get it. I think they understand it, but they're so pushed to get this to prototype because they want to get that next round of funding, right? And so it's like they're just racing usually to get that. And and so I don't. Know, maybe it needs to start with the investor saying, "Okay, mm. no, we're okay with you spending whatever." You know, we're not talking about years here, but maybe you know, a, a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks. Really understanding setting themselves up right. Um, and so I think that's what I you know I think about. What would I tell well, I mean, entrepreneurs, but maybe VCs as well, is that, you know, you have a solution in mind. Okay, right. I mean, I'm I'm not so naive to think that solutions aren't, that's what excites us, right? I mean, going back to inventing uh, the wheel and fire, right? Mm -hmm. Humans have always been about, how do I come up with solutions to solve some problem I have? That's what differentiates us from other animals on earth, right? Um, And so you're always going to be excited by that. That's what's going to excite you. So the question, the thing I would tell them it's okay, let's step back from your solution for a moment, right? And let's think about, you know, what we talked about before, like, who is it you're trying to really create value for? Who is that that would be using your your product or service that you've hypothesized? You know, very specifically, um, it's okay initially to say it'll be a demographic, right? 50 plus year old men, right? Using it. Okay, that's fine. So now what you're going to do is then really, you're going to test this by saying, "Let's let's step away from that solution. Let's think about, all right. Where would that solution fall, and what they're trying to do—the job, right? Let's mm-hmm. let's really map this job out. And what I found over and over and over is that usually the solution that the entrepreneur has in mind is only addressing kind of one sliver or one part of a job, right? It, it it's on one thing. So you, the first thing is you're really stepping back and say, okay, what is it they're trying to do, and what what are all the steps like that? Insurance, you know, a lot of times. People have launched insurance apps to help you mm-hmm. get quotes, right, from different insurance. But uh, like an example there, I don't think there's any solution that helps people really define their insurance needs before they yeah. ever even shop. Right? The, the, the first step is like your comparison shopping. Like that's how people think, we're well, going to help you compare different offers and you can sign up and get insurance. but, but the consumer may have no idea even what, what they need. Yeah. No one thinks about that. And by stepping back and mapping a job, then it kind of takes you away from that. Um, and and understand what are, what are all the things they have to do, and there may be an opportunity to help the consumer up front. Um, I, I have a I have a perfect example of a client startup. They uh, they had launched just launched recently a, a VPN service, right? So, uh, they're global company, and you know we they actually knew about Jaws have done, so they had stumbled on it, didn't know how to do it, mm-hmm. hired us, and you know we went, and they said, look, we're going to focus on security and privacy minded consumers. That was sort of their thing. I'm like, okay. So we said, well, okay, what, you know, and a VPN is a way to keep yourself private when you're going online and protecting your security and privacy, right? And, And, but we said, well, that's great. But when you're on the internet, it's not just as you're surfing the internet, like that you're trying to keep private and secure who you are. But also, you know, things, other things around that. So we started talking to these consumers about what are you trying to keep private and s- secure? What are the other areas that matter? And like we end up finding things like passwords and files and even old social media posts. So this company already launched this VPN, they actually went back and they added a bunch of other ways to keep, you know a password manager, right? To add into that security mm. and they integrated really well. And then they looked at other ways to keep your files so you can transfer files secure. Anyway, they launched, they relaunched this VPN server. They called it like VPN ultra or something. They charge a higher price point. Um, and then they, because they addressed a lot more of the needs that the consumer have. And oh, by the way, they differentiated their service because there's a lot of VPN out there, but mm-hmm. not a lot that do all this. And they've done quite well. So it's almost like you step back, you take some time to think about this And then you can move forward with a lot more uh, confidence that you're actually coming up with a solution that matters. Um, The good news, though, is, and I tell an entrepreneur, is that even thinking in this term, and I know you talk about this, like you ask some questions, is beneficial. Even getting out of their mindset, what I call sort of an inside-out view, right? They're looking at the world through their lens, is to get that customer view. Okay, what is the customer doing? What do they care about? Even that mindset, that shift, can actually bear fruit and as they develop new products and services.
1: So let's, let's build on that. This is so good. Uh, you're an investor and you obviously have this superpower. What questions are you asking? If I, if I bring you on to some of these founder conversations, founder pitches that I, I take, what, what questions are you asking? And even what information might, might you ask from them that others probably aren't? <laughs> yeah,
0: maybe I need to get into the investing
1: game. We should probably. <laughs> uh, the
0: the first thing that a lot of investors ask or is, uh, you know, I think they look at the solution. Um, they they tend to uh, then say, okay, is this a big enough market, right? Mm-hmm. Is there enough? And, and I'm guessing, you know, I'm not an investor in early stage startups as they look at other companies out there, perhaps, right? It's like proxies to say, okay, is there a lot of being sold? Um, you know, the, I think the first things that I would ask—it it, kind of goes back to my whole Jobs, you know, mindset, right? Which is instead of thinking about you know whatever that new shiny solution is—you know, today it's AI, it was AR, VR before that, it was blockchain, right? Whatever that thing that everyone's throwing mm-hmm. money at—is to say, okay, let's forget that for a moment. Let let me talk to me about who the customer is. What are they trying to do? Um, you have this idea. Okay, great. So where does that fit in into this? into this entire process? And where are the biggest pain points? So, you know, you, oh, you say you're gonna, you'll know, go back to the insurance example. You're gonna build an app that helps people comparison shop, right, another one of those apps, okay, great. But you know, where, where do you think the biggest pain is in, our, in the end-to-end process of why do you feel like that solution, mm-hmm. that one solution, cause the solution is only one, one kind of sliver again of that job. That's the most important thing to start with. If you're an entrepreneur, Limited time, limited resources you're gonna you have to start with one area to focus. why is that the one part of the job to focus on i with the having a job's view, what that helps you do is realize you know as an investor and as an entrepreneur that there's a lot of things that the, your target audience your customer is trying to get done. so you're just picking one why that one? like why not what about or what about earlier in the job? Or what about later like why why just that one? Uh, a lot of times by the way, and I've seen this too is that that's where everyone else is playing. So you tend to jump in, like the comparison shopping insurance. There's a lot of apps that have done that. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of getting in, you know, the whole blue ocean strategy. Remember that book from a number of years ago? Like you're fighting in a bloody ocean, right? Because you're going to compete against everyone in that area. What if you went earlier on in the job where no one's competing, helping a customer do that? And oh, by the way, now you have a customer uh, interested in your product because you're actually adding value to them, mm-hmm. and you know, and you could do the other thing later. So I think I would ask questions from that job perspective, why are you focused on that part of the job? Uh, you know, if we're gonna help if you're gonna do that and we're gonna fund this, then what about exploring the other parts of the job? kind of what I asked earlier, you know can we can we let me see data on the rest of the job? Let's see where the opportunities are. And is this actually the a big enough problem, right? Is this important and unsatisfied to the customer? And there's a lot of customers out there that this is a big enough problem. I wanna I wanna focus on funding companies that are actually developing new solutions. That's what I would wanna do as an entrepreneur. I mean, as an investor. So I wanna ask the entrepreneur, show me the research around that. That that's the kind of thing I think I would focus on. Then all the other traditional metrics can come into play, right? Can you scale it? How cost to acquire customers and all those. Sure. Those are all important, but I think those are sort of lagging. They're not really mm-hmm. the first thing. That's not where I would start.
1: My so two cents. you you get hired by <laughs> companies. You know, you mentioned a startup even um, to help do this process, the the the, the study and opportunity identification. I'm curious. You you have to see interesting, big, unmet needs. Uh, all the time. Why haven't you ever gone, oh, I have to go do this and <laughs> maybe go see if I can figure out a solution to this and, and go build a company around it?
0: So actually, I, twice I've tried it, mm-hmm. believe it or not. So it's funny. Um, first, I was doing a study for uh, financial services, on financial advisors, and I realized that there was a consumers struggling with developing a a portfolio strategy when it comes to investing in stocks and bonds uh this is around 2007 i did the study and it, it was for a company so you know it's their data so i went out and did an additional study of my own to actually went right to consumers so they were they were they're a broker dealer and they deal with financial advisors and so i studied this and i realized there was a a need around helping consumers do that uh, and uh i didn't i studied it i understood the problem I struggled with coming out with a great business model, so I didn't move ahead. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another fellow named John Stein, uh, he actually did move ahead with this like a year and a half after two years later, uh, launched the first robo-advisor, Betterment. And Mm -hmm. our robo-advisors are a pretty big part of the industry. Sometimes I kick myself because I was actually onto something before that ever happened. Um, The second time I decided, hey, you know, maybe I need to partner with people because building a startup's hard. Mm-hmm. So I actually identified, we did a whole study around uh, healthcare and I realized the healthcare, the biggest issue was cost. And, and the biggest insurance carrier is Medicare. So I did a study around seniors who, you know, entire life paying into this benefit, mm-hmm. retire. And now here you go, here's Medicare. And you go to the Medicare website and it's alphabet soup, right? It's garbledly good. Sure. So how do you help people now na- seniors navigate this to find the best in carrier? And- uh you know the the team ended up not having uh, alignment and blew up (laughs) and never kind of executed and so it's funny you ask this because I look back at that and I'm like well what is it I you know and I and I think part of me one was I don't know if I loved solving that problem enough maybe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so I hit a barrier right like every entrepreneur does as you're starting to build a company something gets in your way and and you really, if you have, you have to love that curve We talked about the beginning right. that customer, that problem yep. to push through that barrier, right. And continue on and figure out ways to get around it. And maybe in hindsight, for me, I, I really actually like identifying the problems. I love John mm-hmm. I fell in love with it. I just didn't have enough passion to push through those barriers. Um, but again, sometimes I kick myself because maybe I should have moved ahead with that <laughs> robo-advisor idea. I was ahead of the curve. We had identified it. Um, and I've seen companies that I've worked with have yeah. success. TD Bank launched a product that uh, they went on to be the fastest adopted product in their history around helping consumers with savings, uh, mm-hmm. The project we did. And, you know, and then other companies in the U.S., uh, Bank of America copied them. And then the fintech company, Acorns, actually took the idea and made a whole company around it. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just I don't want to I don't want to stop doing jobs to be done. <laughs> it's a good question. Or I just well, don't have the, the passion to push through those barriers.
1: Well, I think it, it also underscores it like building new companies is really hard. And this yeah. is part of it. It's not all of it. And right. I appreciate your 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 vulnerability and candor there in sharing. Well, Zach, you know, I, I always enjoy our conversations every time you you push me and I I and I've learned so much from our friendship, and it's made me a better business person, investor, entrepreneur. And I, I'm so grateful. What what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? And and you know I I think we could continue this forever. Unfortunately, we're running out of time today. But you know what's the best way for people to find you?
0: We could use an old school solution. Look me up in the white pages. No, there
1: you
0: go. <laughs> I, I'd say the easiest. Uh, if you, on LinkedIn, you can mm-hmm. look up Zach Lyons, Z A C L Y O N S, and and then type in jobs to be done, and I'm the only one that pops up. <laughs> There's a lot of Zach Lyons out there, but not doing jobs to be done. Uh, of course, they can send me an email as well. It's Z-L-Y-O-N-S at Agilovation, which is Agile Innovation kind of matched up, mm-hmm. a, matched up, A-G-I-L-I-N-N, uh, sorry, A-G-I-L-O-V-A-T-I-O-N. Sorry. I should have thought about the spelling of it before I picked it. <laughs> the... <laughs> but yeah, either way it would be a great way. And I'm, I love talking about this. So if people have just have interest questions about jobs you've done, how to use it, uh, anything like that, I'm more than um, willing to have a conversation.
1: Zach, thank you so much for the conversation today. And I know this will be probably one of my most valued episodes ever because of just how relevant and durable it is in the world. So thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Operate Podcast. If you like this conversation, as a favor to me, you can rate us, review us, or subscribe, or tell your friends. You can also reach out to us on Twitter at Operate Podcast. Until next week, get out there and operate.